Well, folks, if you drive a car like me, you get curious every time you pass those gas pumps and see the prices going up and down. Today we're going to talk to a fellow from New York City. He also is in offices in Baltimore and Boston, but he's an oil and gas analyst and portfolio manager. His name is Chris Jarvis. Chris, welcome in. Oh, thanks for having me today. Yeah, now let's talk about this, Chris. I mean, the, the price of uh, gas is what the average consumer sees, and it's going up and down, and it's been creeping down lately, which is fine with me. Where do you, where do you see the price of gas going from here? Well, you know, that's the million-dollar question. Obviously, oil prices are going straight down. Uh, you know, we're retesting the March lows today, just about around $44, $45. The only bullish thing in the energy complex happens to be gasoline demand, and we've had a, a good season overall, driving season. Our peak driving season is July 4th holiday, and there's obviously people on vacation during the summertime, and demand's been up about 6% year-over-year. So demand's been strong. And so basically, you see inventories 25% over the five-year average for oil, but when you look at gasoline inventories, it's probably about 2% over the five-year average, so there's a bit of a disconnect. So I don't think gasoline prices are going to you know, go down, and they never do anyways, like oil prices have uh, in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, it's crazy. If you try to draw a parallel between oil prices and gas prices, I mean, you go bonkers trying to figure that out. It doesn't <laughs> compute a lot of times. Yeah, a lot has to do with the fact that you know U.S. can't export crude oil products overseas, but they can refine products, and there's a huge bottleneck in the United States. I mean, the last refinery that was built here was in the 1970s, so we have a bottleneck for capacity refining, and then not only that, you know, we're actually shipping it overseas because that's the only way we can actually export our petroleum products that have to be refined. I know it was a year or two ago, you and I were on a tour of some of the oil fields in Mississippi and Louisiana, and I remember our bus went by one of the refineries in Louisiana, Gosh, it looked like it was 50 years old, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, a lot of these things are, are held together by duct tape. So there's always a lot of maintenance issues. So maintenance season is actually going to start kicking in this fall. But right now, all the refiners, are the, they're going out full capacity, and they're still you know, not really building stocks like we, we typically see. So what do you think over the long term, the price of oil? I know that the price being down now has hurt a lot of suppliers or a lot of the drillers here in America and, and worldwide, but where do you see long-term prices of oil going? Yeah, I know the United States is now the global marginal producer, and we happen to be a very high-cost producer. And uh, I think what folks need to realize is, you know, at one time in the mid-2000s, we're only producing about five, 5.2 million barrels a day. And the shale revolution that we've seen here, driven by technology gain, you know, that pushed out up to over 9 million barrels per day. Um, I guess, the, you know, the, the thought process, when all the prices came down, we, we think we'd see production come off quick, but we haven't. Um, the decline rates in the shale are 80%. So when you drill a well and you get 1,000 barrels a day, by the end of the year, you're down to 200. Um, and so it's a really capex, a lot of uh, intense money that needs to be maintained to keep production levels at current levels and even to grow it. And we haven't seen money going into the ground over the last six months. So what, I, what I'm starting to see is we're starting to see these uh, decline rates kick in and the lack of production, new production coming online. I think we will go through inventories rather quickly the second half of the year. And if, if demand stays like it is, uh, in the long term, I think prices could easily go back to 75 to $80 more equilibrium to the cost of what it costs to get out of the ground out there, um, probably by the end of, you know, mid, mid or the end of 2016. So what do you think, you know, when you look at a barrel of oil, and there's how many gallons in a barrel? Thousand. Usually they'd price it in thousand. Okay. So, but it is 42 gallons, but they, they, the, the futures contract usually a thousand. So let's look at a thousand uh, gallons of oil. Uh, how much does it cost 
our us in America to get a thousand gallons of oil out of the ground? That's the big kind of you have the old school, the conventional, and uh, usually in the more traditional plays in the mid continent, you know, it, it ranges from ten dollars to thirty dollars to get it out of the ground. You know, it's cheaper. You don't get the big wells like you do with the shale plays, but they start. It's a lot cheaper, and it's a lot cheaper to maintain because the infrastructure is there. Um, but the other side of what I call like a barbell is the uh, is the shale and unconventional, and it depends where you are. But you know, some areas of the Bakken, you know, it's eighty five to seventy five dollars to get out of the ground. Um, it, you know, they've become more efficient and costs have come down. So you know, a lot of analysts on the street now are bringing that number down closer to sixty to sixty five. It's funny because when we saw the oil market get to like 60 and hover there for a little bit, that's when, uh, you know, that's when prices started to really take a hit again. I think, you know, it it wasn't low enough to really get this production offline, and I think the market was telling you that. Again, folks, we're talking to Chris Jarvis. He's an oil and gas analyst and portfolio manager joining us from New York City. Chris, let's look at opportunities right now in the current oil market. Where would you say they are, and what would you say would think are the best ones? Well, there's two ways to approach it. We approach obviously you have the traditional way, which you can buy energy stocks uh, and hope that you know these depressed valuations will you know will reverse and, and the and market sentiment and multiples will expand. Um, it's very difficult because obviously equity prices can be really disconnected at times to the underlying fundamentals. You do have the liquidity, but certainly you do have sentiment you have to deal with um, and management issues. The other opportunities that we are looking at, and we have projects in Utah, we have projects in Kansas, Oklahoma, uh, Louisiana, is actually uh, buying directly and participating as operators and as non-operators and directly into oil and gas projects. Valuations have been so dislocated because a lot of these guys bought leases at $100 of oil and they use a lot of bank debt and, you know, with no hedging, and now we have oil at $45. They're underwater on the property, um, and so we're seeing valuations come way down. I mean, at one point it was eighty thousand per flowing barrel. We're probably I've seen some go off at ten thousand per flowing barrel, and that's you know existing production. So there's been a drastic sea change in valuations and dislocations in the field. And so we're out there actively uh, acquiring leases. Uh, we have operators uh, and locals that are in the ground have been there for thirty years. So it's important to have that in place. But certainly you get the tax write-offs, ready to develop those plans and. Um, it's good cash flow. So we're going in there. We're, we're picking up properties cheap. We have the operators uh, taking costs out of the leases. You know, we're looking to take advantage of the recovery in oil prices down the road. So it could be argued, you know, when you look at Warren Buffett, he always says buy low, sell high, or buy when everybody else is selling. And it could be argued this might be a great time to invest in some of those oil wells because the tax write-off, but also the depreciated price of oil right now. Now, you, you couldn't have said it any better. You're absolutely right. This is definitely a Warren Buffett moment in the oil market. I mean, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, trying to acquire leases and property, it, it, nobody wanted to sell, and if you did sell, you'd have to pay a huge premium because not only did we have $100 oil, but we had no volatility. So can you imagine having a bond that's, you know, throwing out 15 20% with no volatility? It was almost bond-like volatility. And so um, the banks and, and, the, and the people that own the properties and the leases certainly were holding on and uh, not selling unless it was an astronomical valuation. Now it's the total reverse effect. And, you know, we're, we're, we're our groups of investors, we're looking to, you know, put money to work and acquire and, and, and make the leases more efficient, take the cost out of it. So when the prices do return to more normalized levels, and again, I think it's between 60 to $80 a barrel longer term, um, certainly we'd be well positioned to capitalize on that. 
you know, I've, I've owned Exxon for years. I've done a dividend reinvestment program with them since high school. And just looking at it, it really hasn't done much at all the last 10 years. People were, you think it'd be better to invest in a big company like Exxon or invest in some of the smaller drillers? Oh, I would, in this environment, you gotta, you gotta stay with the mega cap names. They're the ones that are going to be, they're going to give you the less volatility. They have the dividend yields. And, you know, certainly when, when sentiment changes, these are gonna, guys are going to be the first ones to benefit. You know, the drillers and the oil field service guys, you know, especially the small cap size, you know, the pain is there, and I think it's going to get worse. And, that, you know, I think the volatility is only going to increase. So, um, you know, if I was, if I wanted to dabble back into the market and put some money to work, I would certainly be looking at, like, Chevron, Apache, uh, and ExxonMobil. Um, those are the end of Darko could be another one. Um, but I do think, you know, in a, in within a few months, you're going to see the majors start to acquire some of these uh, distressed, uh, companies that are high quality but just have too much debt on the balance sheet, and I think they're just waiting for oil prices to go down, being patient, which you got to applaud them for the patience because I think they're going to get a lot of the good quality assets rather cheaply. Well, it's always a good, the best time to buy is when things are getting beat up. <laughs> yeah. So makes a lot of sense. Now, we look at refineries. I mean, are there any refinery stocks that would be good to invest in? Yeah, well, this, yeah, actually, I like Valero's probably my top pick. You know, refineries are, are doing great because they've got the benefit of low oil but the benefit of higher gas prices. So their their profit margins are almost 20 to $25 a barrel. So it's they're, they're, they're doing very well in this environment. Demand's been strong. Uh, the consumer's been out there. They've been driving. Um, and so, uh, you know, certainly the, the, the refining side of things is, is definitely a bright spot. So, you know, value they've been pretty pricey. Valuations have are pretty much priced in uh, at these levels. I don't know if I'd get too aggressive there, but any pullbacks, I would certainly take a look at it. Yeah, you said the refineries are almost at max capacity, so it's uh, it's almost a no-brainer investment, but again, it's getting it at the right price, isn't it? It's getting at the right price. I mean, you know, a lot of the majors have, you know, their their business models upstream and downstream, meaning, you know, their upstream is, is, is you know, exploration and production, and then on downstream, they're on the other end of it, refining. Some of these guys are, are hedged that way, um, and then it's for a reason. Uh, but there are some pure plays out there. Again, Valero would probably be my top pick in the group. You know, one of the funny things I read in the Wall Street Journal a, a few weeks back is Delta Airlines invested and bought a refinery, a beat-up refinery, I think, from Chevron a few years back, and they bought it at the exact worst time. They've just sunk a ton of money in there. So I think if you buy Delta Airlines, you're also getting refinery stock, though. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I think, you know, they're thinking with higher oil prices, they could kind of reduce it, uh, their costs for fuel by having the refinery. And now, you know, at these levels, the benefit's not quite there. I think they picked the exact worst time to buy the refinery. They bought it when gas and oil was like uh, over 100, maybe 150 a barrel, and they decided they were going to own their own refinery. And ever since then, it's gone down, sort of like how I buy stocks. <laughs> so. <laughs> Hey, one final question to you, and it has nothing to do with oil and gas, but uh, I also uh, have a dividend reinvestment program at McDonald's. I've sold a lot of the McDonald's stock a couple weeks ago because I'm tired of McDonald's not doing anything. But if I say McDonald's to you, what do you think about? French fries. French fries. All right. So you think the same way about McDonald's today as you did 10 years ago? Absolutely not. I think yeah. I'm a... And now that I'm in my, you know, in my 40s, I got to watch what I eat a lot more than I did back then. So uh, I tend to continue to drive by it these days. They <laughs> changed that need. formula for the French fries twice since we were young, too. 
by the way, the, the yeah, oil. And stuff, so anyway, uh, folks, it's been a good interview. I mean, you're driving around the cars. Why not invest in a way? I mean, you're, you're spending some of the money you're investing in. Maybe you're helping the profits of the investment if you invest in oil and gas. But there are ways to do it. There are better ways. There, yeah, the tax write-offs a lot of times for investing in those small drillers make sense. But again, the volatility has to be uh, counterbalanced with the tax write-off. Folks, again, his name was Chris Jarvis. If you want to listen to this interview again in its entirety or any other interview we've had in the past, go to financialsafari.com and click on the As Heard on the Show icon. Chris, thanks for your time today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And folks, we'll be right back after this. <laughs> 